0: Good morning everyone. In my almost 40 years here at Melanie Park Church, I've learned two unchanging truths. Number one, you are really good at showing up to events. I mean, you just come in groves and you enjoy being together. Number two, you're terrible at signing up for events. (laughs) You're just terrible. So do us all a favor, listen to what Ashley said. It would be really helpful when we have a big event like Thanksgiving dinner. We probably have on average two to three hundred people that show up. And it is awesome. And we bring friends and there's international students and it's a big deal. And it's a lot of fun. So this week if you would help us out by by signing up and letting us know so that we can make sure it's everything we all want it to be when we, when we get there. And then also as it relates to Israel, I do want to uh, re-emphasize as well the importance of signing up for that trip. You're not putting down any kind of a payment until February to secure your spot, but when you sign up, it's what allows us to secure the trip for the group so that we can get the lowest possible rates because as you all know, the longer you wait for things like airfare, it just goes up day after day after day. So would you please take care of that this week as well and we'll see if we have enough people to move forward with that trip. That would be really helpful. So we're all familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the more familiar, familiar things that came, comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes is when Solomon tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And we hear that, and it resonates with us. Yet, as we look at the world around us, it seems like everything is changing moment by moment, day by day. As we know, this last week we had midterm elections, and no matter who's in the office, And people often are motivated to show up to vote because they want to see a change. They want something different. As parents, we often console our kids when they're in a hard or difficult place that, hey, it's going to be okay because nothing lasts forever. It seems that the only thing permanent in life is change. So who's right? Solomon, who says there's nothing new underneath the sun or what we see going around us in the world every day when Everything seems to be changing. Well, like most of the most important questions in life, the answer is simple. It's yes. (laughs) Because both can be true in the sense that there are absolute unchanging uh, truths that coexist in a world of ever-increasing change and uncertainty. So in our passage this morning, the writer of Hebrews wants to prepare his audience for this challenge of holding firm, just like we sang, this sure and steady anchor, something that is true, immovable, in a world that is constantly changing and shifting and moving. He wants them to have an unwavering faith in this world that is filled With uncertainty. And so he begins by instructing them to to drive a stake in the ground when it comes to the truth of God's word, anchoring their lives to the steadfast and certain promises of God. He goes on to tell them to fix their eyes on Jesus and, like him, to look forward to the joy that is set before them. Seeing beyond their circumstances, to behold the promise. Of a future hope. Because having this eternal perspective is one of the key components to an enduring faith. Even a faith that helps us persevere through difficulty and and persecution. Even even rejoicing in the the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of, of Christ. Being counted worthy to be a part of that mission. But that last part, the the sharing in the sufferings of Christ is, is not something that we embrace, not something that we are inclined towards, even in the church today. In fact, I think we often, if we're honest with ourselves, avoid suffering at all costs, no matter who or what it's for. But God has called us to an abundant life, even in the midst of a broken world. He strengthens our faith so that we do have the power to persevere. The the image that came to my mind as I was thinking through this is is those birthday candles, those trick candles that you see when you blow one out and it just keeps reigniting as you try to go to the next one and it seems like they're never going to go away. And to me, that's a really good picture of unwavering faith. It's this unextinguishable joy because there's this certain security in who Christ is and the hope that we have in him. And so with that picture in mind, I want us to pray as we look into our passage. And I've told people this before. And so I want us to ask you a favor. I often experience some of the most challenging attacks from the enemy when I'm sitting in that pew five minutes before I walk up here. Worries and angst and fears and all this stuff. And so I'm going to pray for you. And I would ask you to pray for me as we look at God's word together. Father, we are weak and we are frail. You are strong and secure. So we fix our eyes on you. We put our trust in you. And Lord, we want to be a people who live with a true unwavering faith. Something that is strong and steady. Even in the midst of the world that is constantly changing. We we don't want to be taken to places of of fear and, and angst and worry. Because it seems like things are out of control when in fact they are not because you're not out of control. You are always sovereign. You're good. You're just. You're holy. You're pure. So, Father, we're going to put our trust in you. We're going to fix our eyes on you. And so as we look at our passage this morning, would you take these very powerful truths, because they were spoken straight from you, your heart to ours. Would you penetrate deeply inside of our soul? Allow these seeds to to give birth to a truth that holds firm in our lives as we walk out of this place. So that when we do encounter the inevitable challenges that are yet before us, that truth will stand strong. It will remind us. It will give us strength and hope. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're getting close, people. we got this week and next week. We've almost gone through the, the book of Hebrews. It's been amazing to walk through it with you. So I'd love for you to read with me beginning in... Uh, Chapter 13, verse 7, where the writer continues and he says this. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not not by foods through which those Who were so occupied were not benefited? I want to tell you just real quickly. I came to faith when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, it was a significant transition in my life. And when I was young in my faith there was a guy by the name of Jim Shear. He was a young life leader at the time. And Jim met with me most every week for breakfast and a Bible study at Grandy's on 50th in Utica. Anybody remember Grandy's? Uh, It's a great place. But almost every week through high school, he and I met as he mentored and discipled me in the faith. He did that all the way through high school. And then when I got into college, I met a, a good friend by the name of John Sharp, who to this day is one of my closest friends and one of my most influential mentors in my life. Around that same time, I started attending Melanie Park Church and At that time, Doc Henry was the pastor. He was a great man and such a gifted teacher, and he had a tremendous influence in my life. That influence even continued as Roger Wisdom came into the teaching pastor role, and Roger and I shared um, our love for this church, and we served as elders together, and he, he and I met most every single week, and he mentored me to what I'm doing here today. For almost 40 years, men like this have invested in my life to help deepen and strengthen my faith. Their influence went well beyond what they said to to how they lived. I I could look at their lives and I could imitate their faith because of what I saw in their marriages and in their families. They weren't perfect by any means, but they were so faithful to pursue the Lord humbly. And there are so many others. People like Mark Hardy, Mike Hill, Hud Huddleston. You may remember Bob and Conatani, Larry Brackett, Larry Farley. And I could go on and on and on. The author of Hebrews wants us to go through this exercise and to remember the people, the men and women that God has placed in our lives to help strengthen our faith. As it says in verse 1, leading, or verse 7, leading us by speaking the word of God and living out their faith in front of us. In essence, really just continuing that discipleship relationship that we see beginning with Jesus and his disciples. I mean, it's really crazy to think about if you stop for a moment and realize that That the faith that we have today is a faith that has begun in that relationship between Jesus and his disciples who then went out and discipled others, who then went out and discipled others, generation after generation, and still 2,000 years later it's happening and it's still going. The reason it's still going, the reason it has that growth and stability is because the message hasn't changed. The gospel is the same. Even if you look and think about everything that's changed over those 2,000 years, the gospel is the same. And we see in verse 8 where that's anchored. It tells us Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You see, we we don't have to be innovative and and creative to to make the, the gospel fresh and exciting. We just point people to Jesus He's the unchanging promises that are made by him and through him. Which is why the writer of Hebrews warns us look, don't, don't get carried away by some new revelation or exciting new insight. We see those all the time. Everybody's got a, a new word, a new message, a new revelation. He says, be grounded. Be grounded in the unchanging truth. Of God's word. Because it's really not complicated. I I know there's a lot in this book. But when you boil down the gospel. It's very very simple. It's, It's salvation. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Okay, Anything you add or take away from that list. Is what leads to false teaching. You're not somehow strengthened by a list of rules that you follow. It's not Jesus plus fill in the blank, okay? It's Jesus, period. You're not more righteous because of your degree, your denomination, your church discipline, the the disciplines that you have in your life, your church tradition, your spiritual gifts. None of those make you more righteous then you are in Christ alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. We don't need a new and improved version of Christianity. We need an unwavering faith in the unchanging truth of the gospel. The same yesterday, today, and forever. We just need to dive deeper into the depths of, of his mercy and grace that is saturated within the gospel truth. Look at how he continues in verse 10. He says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. I think the key to this section of the scripture of our passage is really found in verse 10. So it's important to to know what that's saying. It begins by describing this altar that's exclusive to Christians. He says, we, speaking to his audience, Hebrew Christians, we have an altar which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. And we need to understand that in this context, the altar he's referring to is the cross. That's the altar. That's the place where Jesus' blood was shed as a sacrifice for our sins. But those who serve in the tabernacle would argue that they are making a sacrifice for sins as well. They have this, I think what the author is referring to here in these passages when he's talking about this offering for sin, he's talking about this annual event known as Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement where the sacrifices are made on behalf of the sins of the people. The blood of which, as he describes here, is sprinkled by the high priest on the mercy seat within the Holy of Holies. He goes on and says that the the carcasses of those animals that have been sacrificed are taken outside of the camp in order to be burned. The reason that that happened was because they were defiled. They, They bore the sins of the people and so... They were burned, removing that sinful impurity from within the camp. But here's the key. It could not remove the stain of sin's curse on the hearts of all people. Which is why they had to offer that same sacrifice year after year after year. We learn back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, he says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice, here it is, which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, these sacrifices exposed the reality of sin, but they had no power to remove it. They revealed the need for forgiveness, but they could not provide a solution for it. So the author points to Jesus, who was also taken outside of the camp, outside of the city gate, we see that described in John chapter 9 verse 17 when it's describing the crucifixion of Jesus and it says they took Jesus therefore and he went out, speaking of the city, out of the city gate, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Hebrew means Golgotha. And unlike the symbolism the shadow, as the author calls it, of the sacrifices that were intended to bear the sins. That's symbolic in nature, but it was actually true of Jesus Christ. The passage in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. He bore our sin. He took the defilement outside of the camp. And onto the cross. That's the altar where the sacrifice was made once for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Just let that sink in, people. One sacrifice for all sin, for all time, for all who believe. That's the good news of the gospel. And and the author points out that Jesus being outside of the camp could be approached by the people because he's contrasting with what happened on the Day of Atonement. Remember when the high priest, one man, one time a year, could enter into the Holy of Holies, no one else had access to it. There was a curtain, a veil that separated the very presence of God from a very sinful people. But Jesus, being outside of the camp, became accessible to everyone, Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free. As Peter proclaims in his passionate sermon in Acts 2.21, he says, everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But we also know that for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, there is a cost. And and the thing is, this is not, you know, something that was a surprise to us. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Luke's version, I think he says, take up his cross daily. (laughs) This is an ongoing reality of those who choose to follow Christ. It's the same idea that we see in our passage in verse 13, where he says, We must bear the reproach of Jesus. We must be willing to to share in the sufferings of Christ. And like I said in the beginning, this is the part we like to ignore. Because we often commit our life to Christ in hopes that he makes it easier, not harder. We want Jesus to remove our struggle. We want him to to take our pain away. But what if, what if the wilderness is where your life is truly transformed? Are you willing to go there? Where he turns your trial into a testimony of God's redeeming grace so that you can share the hope that is within you to somebody else who might find themselves in that very same dark place. And yet, the scripture tells us that Jesus was taken outside of the city gate, having been rejected by the very people he had come to save. And you need to know that when you share in the reproach of Christ, you very possibly could share in that same rejection, where you see that you have hope for the world, and yet the world looks at you and says, you're the problem with society. You're... Faith. Your religion is way too exclusive. It's too rigid. It's archaic. It doesn't change with the times. Exactly. Same yesterday, today, and forever. The Martha reminds us in verse 14 we're not trying to find acceptance in our society. In fact, we are seeking a city. A heavenly city that is yet to come. Our, our hope is yet forward. This is not our home. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised. The fiery trial, when it comes upon you to, to test you. And in, in testing, it's the idea of strengthening. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. In so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So the author is helping us understand how to have an unwavering faith in an ever-changing world. And he begins by telling us to, to stay grounded in the truth of God's word. And then he just spoke about how we need to stay focused on that future reward, that eternal hope. And then he finishes by telling us to to stay humble with a heart filled with praise. Look at how he says that in verse 15. It's through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased in Christ, God's wrath has been satisfied and our forgiveness is complete. Romans 8, 1 makes it very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin is abolished and your guilt and shame has been removed. Colossians two fourteen: Having con- canceled out the certificate of death, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, It's taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And that's good news, right? And so because of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, the, the author of Hebrews is reminding us to return in the sacrifice of praise that we give to him. Not just in what we say or what we sing, but in how we live. Romans 12, 1 tells us that. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Living, breathing, daily sacrifice. Acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of, there it is, worship. You remember when Mary kneeled and sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha was busy in the kitchen and, and Jesus said that, There's nothing more important than the heartfelt devotion that she is giving to me. Out of all the things that could be done, worship is the very best thing that she or we could do. But we need to understand, as we see in this passage, that worship is not the end unto itself. It leads to something else. He tells us that that we worship Not only in what we say and what we sing, but in how we live, specifically how we serve the needs of people around us. He says there that we are to do good, sharing with others. It reminds me of when Jesus was asked by the lawyer, he said, what is the greatest commandment? You remember Jesus' reply. He said, well, actually there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says the whole law can be summed up in these two. And I believe he did that because these two are irreplaceable. They, They go together. They cannot be separated. Because you can't on one hand say that you love God and then hate people. Nor can you love people not having first been loved by God. These are inseparable truths. And I believe we see the very same reality in our passage this morning. He's telling us to give praise to Christ because of what he has accomplished for you. And then he goes on and says, and do good to others, sharing with them. These are just as inseparable as the other two were. Okay, We can't, in one hand, worship with our mouths that we praise Christ, but then neglected the needs of the people around us. The one negates the other because part of our worship is our willingness to serve the needs of those around us. Even considering their needs as more important than our own. This past week I had the privilege to visit with Raj Vartek, which many of you know and have probably spent time with him. And like me, that's an encouragement just to have a conversation with Raj. And he shared with me how people within this church family have been so Faithful to love and serve him and his family during what has been a very difficult season for them. I told me about Scott Sims, who shows up most every Saturday just to take David and Raj out for a drive, just drive around the campus, drive around the city, just see something outside of the four walls of their home. I told me about Tim Cochran, who has faithfully taken care of their lawn without ever asking anything from Raj or his family. He said there were numerous people who have come by to pray with them, to to offer food for them. And, And then Raj said something that I thought was incredibly revealing. He said, I know people in America have lots of choices with what they can do with their time. He said, and church is just one of those choices if it works out into their very busy schedules But he said, if it wasn't for the church, we could not make it through the situation that we are in right now. He says, the church is not an option for us. It's a necessity. And I would would propose to you this morning that whether we believe it or not, the exact same thing is true for us. The difference is, is that we may not realize it. Because it may not seem all that important when life seems to be going pretty well and you have a lot of other options of things you can do with your time. But living within Christian community is a key ingredient to an an unwavering faith, especially during your darkest moments. As Raj said, it's not a choice. It is an absolute necessity. It's part of the abundant life in a very broken world. So I want us to take just a moment and and, and consider how the truths of this passage apply to our lives within the context in which you and I live. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to Christian resources made available to us. Am I right? I mean, we have Christian books that address every potential struggle or difficulty you may ever face in your life, and a lot of them have the key answer to your problem. Right? We have Christian conferences. We have Christian podcasts. We have Christian counselors. But let me ask you this. How often do you sit down one-on-one to be grounded in the truth of God's Word? Because here's the thing. All those other resources are wonderful, and praise the Lord that we have access to them. But here's what's common among all of them. Everything you hear is filtered through the opinion and life of another person, wouldn't it be really important for you and I to spend one-on-one time to hear directly from the Lord as he speaks through his word? Unfiltered, other than what he wants to speak to us. And so I just want to encourage you to take some time to do that this week. Not just read a few verses, check it off the box, you've got a list, good for you. You've read your verses for the day, you go on about your day. That's not what I'm talking about. Just take two verses. I don't care, take one. And just read it. And then reflect on it. And then just listen to how God might want to speak into your life based on the truth of his word. I mentioned elections, and, and I know several people have mentioned how political situations can create such angst and turmoil in people's lives. I, I hate that that's true for us, but it is. It just kind of messes with us. And so I want to give you a passage that I would con- ask you to consider spending that time in this week, um, and I want you to write it down. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 26. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 26. The whole chapter is amazing. amazing. But focus specifically on verses 21 through 26, because it will remind you that no matter who is elected in whatever office in the country in which we live, our God forever will reign supreme over everything. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can be secure in that. So read those verses, reflect on what they say, and let it penetrate your heart deeply. The second thing I would encourage you to do is spend some time thinking about your future home. The passage tells us that one of the ways that we persevere through life in this world, which is not our home, is to be reminded that we are seeking a heavenly city, okay? We have a different home. And so I want you to spend some time in Revelation chapter 21 this week, okay? Let me encourage you to read it because it'll be familiar from several different translations. New American Standard is what I preach from on Sunday morning. Read it from New American Standard, NIV, ESV. Even use the message. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. But sometimes it can be really helpful. And allow your time in Revelation 21 to give you a glimpse, just a little glimpse of what is to come. And see if it doesn't affect how you see life in the world in which we live right now. And then finally, I want to encourage you to take some time this week to consider the people that God has placed in your life. To encourage and to to strengthen your faith. So in verse 7, when it tells us to remember those who led you, those who spoke truth to you, those who gave you an example of faith that you could follow, when you hear that description, who are the people that come to mind? In fact, right now, With your bulletin, write down those names. Okay? Just write down names. Two to three people, however many that come to mind. People that in your lifetime have been significant to influence you with the truth of God's word. With the example of their marriage or their family. Write their names down. I'm pausing because I'm serious. want you to write their names down and then I want you to take some time this week to reach out to these people give them a call send them a text write them a note just let them know how grateful you are for the influence that they have had in your life it's been several years ago but back when I was in college so we're talking decades now okay Back when I was in college I was a young life leader and there was a young man who was a senior in high school and we're talking a wild child okay. Came from a broken home. His life was an absolute mess. But We had a great friendship together and somewhere along the way (laughs) by God's grace out of nowhere late in his senior year he came to me and he says I'm ready to surrender. I don't want to do this anymore and so he gave his life to Christ and it was real and it was sincere but the problem was I never knew what happened to him after he went off to college and literally it was at least 15 years later he messaged me through Terry's Facebook and he just wanted to reach out and he went on to tell me that he's a police officer in North Carolina He's a part of a church there where he serves as a deacon. And he's regularly involved in missions. And he said, I just want you to know that Jesus Christ has transformed my life. And thank you for introducing me to him. To this day, it may be the greatest phone call I've ever received in my life. Such an encouragement to me. And it just so happened to be at a really difficult season. And so you never know where those names of those people, you never know where they are in life and how important it might be for them to hear from you, to remind them of the impact that they had in your life. And perhaps it might encourage them to to continue to live that life worth imitating by others. So if you would, take some time to do that this week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the powerful truth of your word. How it just hits us right where we are. And that's not an accident. You know our hearts. You know the details of our lives. You know what we need to hear. You speak those truths into our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that even this morning, we let it sink deep, we let it take root, we let it grow and flourish so that it can bear fruit. In our lives. That might be a blessing to those around us. Lord we want to be a people. Like we said. We want to be a people of unwavering faith. People who are grounded in the truth of your word. People who have their eyes fixed on Jesus. In the hope of eternal life. People who persevere. Even through difficult situations. Father help us to. Be a people of unwavering faith because we have our eyes fixed on you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.